1: You know, we've been going through a series called Basic Training, and similar to like Army basic training, we have three different phases that we're trying to work through. In the Army, there's three phases, and we're trying to work through three phases, and we're coming today at the close of our first phase, which is truth. Next week, we're going to be getting into what righteousness is, how to live the life that Christ has given us. But what we've been doing is try to establish a foundation of truth in your life to help you to understand What Jesus has done for you. And so we've covered a lot of concepts over, really, the last two months. We've, first of all, looked at the fall and how our lives were affected by Adam and Eve's sin. We've looked at the reality of what fallen man is like because of Adam and Eve's sin. And we looked at our destiny, which was hell because of Adam and Eve's sin. We then saw the substitute, how Jesus gave himself for us as a substitute for the sin in our lives, and then last week we looked at the gift of salvation. Today we're going to go finally and wrap up the truth section with an understanding of who you are, your standing as a believer. Now you say, now why is that so important, George? Well, I'll give you an illustration to tell you why it's so important. How many of you have driven around our area and seen houses where it looks like the folks are trying to renovate their house, but it's taken them 20 years to do it? How many of you have seen a house like that? I mean, they're doing a little bit of work here and a little bit of work there. And, you know, maybe they've got one window done, but then maybe because the wife wanted a different siding, they worked on one patch of siding on the house. And and they're, they're constantly in a state of repairing their home. And it usually... You know, usually it's there while they have money, and if the money runs out, they'll work on it later. Or maybe they don't have the skill, and they're waiting for a buddy to show up to help do this certain project on the house and so forth. And basically what we have in our area is a lot of homes that are basically what? Incomplete. Because they're in a constant state of renovation. Now, that illustration right there really says a lot about where Christians are today. Because in a lot of ways, Christians are just like those homes, They have some sort of structure, but they're not complete. Maybe they know a little bit about who they are. Maybe they know that they're saved, and maybe they know that they're going to heaven, but beyond that, they don't have anything else there. They live defeated. They live wondering if God's going to zap them because they did something wrong. And they have an incomplete structure. In fact, they have their foundations. They have some sort of structure, but their identities are incomplete. They hope for the best, but they never realize it. They get to the place where they grow accustomed to living in defeat. Isn't that where most of us are at today? We get to the place where we grow accustomed to living in defeat. And we think about what we're going to be later. But the reality is is we're going to look at two sections of verses today. We're going to look at one verse in Ephesians 2, two verses in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, and both verses very clearly state to you and I who we are in Jesus. And if you can grasp this today, it'll set you free. The reality is, my friends, you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, are someone very wonderful, and God has something in store for you, and God blesses you in so many ways And so hopefully today you'll see yourself as Jesus sees you. So let's look first of all at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. From this we're going to see several things about who we are. But before we talk about who we are, I need you to help you to understand that there are some things in our lives that are hindering us from understanding who we are. And I call them roadblocks to understanding. So let's talk about what those roadblocks are. First of all, here's our first roadblock. Church culture hinders us from truly understanding who we are in Jesus. Church culture hinders us. You would think that the church would be the first place to affirm who you are in Jesus. But I'm going to be honest with you, the church is actually the last place that you will be affirmed as far as who you are in Jesus. You say, what are you talking about, George? I don't know that I agree with you. Listen to what I'm saying before you make your thought. When you come to church, usually when you have a church, everybody tries to look what? Perfect. Everybody tries to show that they're doing what? Good. Everybody puts a standard of morality that's really up there that really, if we're honest with ourselves, very few of us can reach. And when you have somebody come in who isn't perfect, when you have somebody come in who isn't living up to the standards, the church will be the first place to tell them so. Have you noticed that? The the church will be the first place to say to them, you're not doing right. In fact, if anything, for all of us here, and I know, I've been a believer now 25 years now. The church, in my life, you'll hear things like, we're just sinners. You're always going to mess up. And you get that, and you, and you think in terms of, well, God just sees me as a sinner. But it's interesting. What the church culture communicates to us about our standing is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. You say, isn't that from the Bible? Doesn't the Bible say we are sinners? Let me explain something to you. When you read the Bible, when it talks about a believer, it always refers to the sinner as a past event, not a present event. It talks about who you used to be, not who you are now. So when it talks about you being a sinner, it talks about you before Jesus, not now in Jesus. Isn't that something? When you come to church, we talk about how you're a sinner right now. It doesn't talk to you about who you are in Jesus right now. See, our culture can hinder us from a proper understanding of ourselves. In fact, here's the other culture. Here's the other cultural thing. If you don't do certain things with, for God, He's not going to bless you. If you don't do certain things for God, He's not going to accept you. And so you begin to have this concept of God that He requires from you an arm and a leg before He'll love you and accept you. That's what the culture communicates. Unless you give enough, unless you attend enough, unless you dress the right way, you're not accepted with God. Do you see how the culture, the church culture that we're in, can hinder us from a proper understanding of God? just doesn't stop there. Here's the other roadblock. Ignorance and partial understanding hinder us. Ignorance and partial understanding hinder us. The Bible very clearly says who you are in Jesus. And we're going to talk about that right now. If you are a believer in Christ, he's going to say some very specific things about who you are. And But if you don't know that, if you are totally ignorant of what the Bible says about who you are, you're just going to drift around based upon what you feel that day, about what you think about yourself, based upon what you feel as far as yourself being a Christian. And let's be honest, there are some days when you wake up, you just don't feel like a Christian, do you? Like, for instance, in my household, I'm a morning person. Now, you non-morning people, don't be irritated with me. But I'm married to a non-morning person. And they have to have a cup of coffee and a shower before I can talk to them. Trust me, non-morning people don't feel like Christians in the morning, do they, morning people? Now, if you operated your life out of ignorance, you're just going to go by your feelings. Outside influences begin to affect us because we're operating out of what? Ignorance. But see, that's not just the only roadblock. There's partial understanding. Partial understanding, where you only know a little bit, but you don't know the whole truth. And you operate on a little bit, but not the whole truth, and that hinders you from truly understanding who God is and what He feels about you and how He sees you. You say, okay, I grasp it, I see it. Our church culture, ignorance, and partial understanding, that all hinders me. Well, enlighten me, George. Help me to see who I am. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the present nature that we have, our present nature, the first thing I want you to see, we see it in verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, is this. Look at what he says there. For we are his workmanship. Here's what I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see about your nature, who you are, listen to me folks, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, what I'm about to share with you is who you are in Jesus some of you here, you're looking at yourself based upon what your educational level is. You're looking at yourself based upon what your income is. You're looking at yourself based upon what you've done in the past or haven't done. None of that means anything to God. Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He doesn't view you based on those things the world may. But God doesn't see you that way. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Here's how He sees you. The first thing is this. We are his workmanship. Here's what it is. We are God's masterpiece. Listen to me. That word workmanship is, is the same word that would describe the Mona Lisa. You understand a work of art. Or, or Michelangelo's David that he carved out of marble. When God sees you, he sees you as a masterpiece. Now, you, you may not feel that way. Looking in the mirror and as you're getting older, gravity's taken over. But you see, we're viewing it based on what? Humanity. The reality is, listen to me, when God sees you, He sees you as His workmanship, His masterpiece. You are unique to Him. You are His creation. You're special. Isn't that an awesome thought? So the next time you're looking in the mirror and you're wondering about this, say, I'm a masterpiece. Now we laugh at that, but there's some serious truth to it. Listen to me. I know in a room this size with these folks here, some of you can't look at yourself in the mirror. Some of you can't look at yourself in the mirror because what you see, you don't like. And what you see is maybe dreams that were never achieved, failures, sins that you are ashamed of, and you're not happy with what you see, and and what happens is, is when you have ignorance and partial understanding take over, and a church culture, you begin to see yourself the way you see yourself in that mirror, and that is not how God sees you. And the way that He sees you is like we are His workmanship, we're His masterpiece. Isn't that an awesome thought? If you don't leave here with anything else today, you walk out of here and say, "I'm a masterpiece. I'm God's masterpiece." That's a wonderful thing. But it doesn't end there. Look at what he says, verse 10. Look at what he says here. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what he's saying. We were meant to do great things. We were meant to do great things. This is what he's saying to me. Listen to me. He's saying it to George. He's saying it to you. He's saying, look, you're my masterpiece. I created you to do certain things in your life that I prepared for you to do beforehand. Isn't that wonderful? He's got something He wants you to do. In your little life, in your little corner of Clearfield County, in your workplace, wherever it is, He's got something that God wants to do through you. He's got great things for you. But again, if we're going to go by the church culture, if we're going to go by the whole aspect of, well, let's talk about the church culture for a moment, because in a church culture, only a few people do things for God. They're the missionaries. They're the pastors. They're the Sunday school teachers. Everybody, everywhere, we're just to sit here and be a spectator and give money to help them do it. Isn't that what the culture says? But that's not true. He says, you're my masterpiece. I created you to do something for me. And what I created you to do, I prepared beforehand. You're going to do great things. See, now that's the church culture. Here's what ignorance does. Ignorance comes along and says, I can't do it. No way. You don't know what I did. You don't know how I messed up. I don't have the resources or the brain power. And it's all because of ignorance or partial understanding that we don't do for God what He created us to do. But the reality is, is you're his masterpiece, and he created you to do great things. So how about let's get out of our pity parties and start asking God, what is the great thing that you want me to do? You understand what I'm saying? Isn't that an awesome thought of who we are? That's an awesome thought. Now, look, go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at some other things here. Here's what he's saying. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen Generation. Here's the next point I want you to see. We are God's unique people. We are God's unique people. Here's what this this passage, chosen generation, stresses. First of all, it stresses God's initiative. It's not because of you or what you didn't do that God decided to love you. He chose to love you. He took the initiative to reach out to you when you didn't want to be reached out to. So it talks about God's initiative, and it also talks about the uniqueness of His people. When He talks about a chosen generation, He's talking about you are someone special to God. You're unique. You and all your quirkiness are wonderful to God. Isn't that wonderful? That little quirky habit that everybody else is irritated with, God loves. Because you're special to Him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Not only am I His masterpiece, not only does He want to do great things through me, I am a unique person. I'm his special, unique person. Isn't that wonderful? That's how God sees you. Let's go on now. Let's look one more thing here. Look at verse 10. He says this, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What's he saying? We are royal priests of a new covenant. Now I need to unpack this one for you because we have in our mindset what a priest is and everything and 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 I want to explain to you what this issue of royalty is and so forth. So so let me give you a little bit of background history-wise. The Jewish nation was very interesting. From the very beginning with the establishment of the Mosaic Covenant, with the the, the establishment of the law, God brought about a priesthood, which were the sons of who? The sons of Aaron. And who could be a priest? Only someone from the lineage of Aaron. Could anybody else in Israel be a priest? No. No. Only one type of person, somebody who is a descendant of Aaron, could be a priest. Bottom line, that was the reality in the Old Testament. Now, there was also a royal lineage, which was the lineage through David. And only a son of David could be royalty. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, the interesting thing about it was, is that with royalty and with the priesthood in the Old Testament, they were two separate functions. A priest could not be a king. A king could not serve as a priest. In fact, there was one king by the name of Uzziah who decided that he was going to act like a priest and went in to make offering, and God struck him with leprosy because he wasn't supposed to be there. So they were two separate things in the Old Testament, royalty and priesthood. Now here's what happens. Jesus comes, and through his cross, he establishes a new covenant. What is a new covenant? A new covenant in his blood. Remember, we say at communion. A new path to salvation. It's not through the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, he has formed a new priesthood. But the interesting thing about this new priesthood is, he also says that it's also royalty. No longer are the two separated, but the two have become one. No longer are they exclusive only to the descendants of David or the descendants of Aaron, but they are open to who? All believers. And so here's the thing. You and I are royal priests. That's a hard one to grasp, isn't it? But what we believe here as a church is, is the priesthood of believers. That all of us can, what? Serve God, not just a select few people. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of you here can serve God, not just a select few people. Do you grasp what I'm saying? Do I need to say it again? All of you can serve God, not just a select few people. Now, you say, well, duh. Yeah, but listen, in our church culture, we have this concept that only few people can serve. Isn't that true? And if you've noticed, it's only the perfect people who can serve. But that's not what he's saying in this passage. He's saying you're not only God's unique, special people. He's saying, listen to me, you are a royal priesthood. All of you are priests, but not just any kind of priest. You are royalty. Now, why am I royalty? Because the Bible very clearly says that when you become a child of God, you become an heir with Christ. And who is he? Who's Jesus? Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And if I'm an heir with him, you better believe it. I'm royalty. You see the point here? The reality is, is you're not just average Joe Schmo living in Clearfield County or Joe Et Schmo. You are royalty. And you're a servant to God. Isn't that wonderful? Now here's the other thing I want you to see. Here's the point. Look with me at verse 10. Here's what he says. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Here's what it's saying. We are valuable to God. So oftentimes when we go by the roadblocks that hinder us from truly understanding who we are, here's what happens. You begin to think, well, God can do it without me. He doesn't need me. I'm not worth anything to Him. And some of you are down on yourselves and your concept of how God sees you. And the reality is, is that God does not see you that way. When he looks at you, he says, this is my own special people. Now let me explain something to you. When you get into the meaning of that, here's what that, what that mean, those words mean. It denotes possession and worth. It denotes possession and worth. You say, what do you mean by that? It, when he says, I'm his own special people, it says, I belong to God. That's possession. And because I belong to God, it denotes my worth. I'm worth something. You know, it's interesting. How many of you like news? I like the news. And every once in a while you'll hear about these auctions. So for instance, you know, about ten years ago they, they auctioned off Adolf Hitler's cigarette case. And it went for tens of thousands of dollars. The one that I thought was interesting is Jerry Garcia. Remember Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead? They auctioned off his toilet. And it went for tens of thousands of dollars. Simply because he used it. Now, you say to myself, well, you know, hey, what's the deal? It's a toilet. I mean, I could go to Lowe's and buy one. Who's going to pay tens of thousands? Why would they do that? Because of who it belonged to. It's just a regular old toilet. Needed to be repaired and needed to be cleaned. But the reality is, listen to me. The reason why it costs so much is because of who it belonged to. That's the worth of it. See, this is what he's saying. We are valuable to God. We're God's own special people. And here's what it's denoting to us. It's denoting to us, listen to me, not just that we belong to Him, but we because we belong to Him, we're worth something. You're valuable to Him. So listen, Christian, don't you ever think that you're worth Nothing. Don't ever listen to the lies of our culture. Don't ever listen to the lies of ignorance. Don't ever listen to the lies of partial understanding. Don't ever listen to the lies of the enemy who comes to you and says, You're worth nothing. God doesn't need you. Because the reality is, is, that's a lie. Because right here in this passage, it says what? We're His own special people. And notice what it says. We're His own special people. And here's the reality of why we're here that you may proclaim praises to him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What? So that you could praise him. So that you could give glory to him. Isn't that wonderful? You are worth something. And you're worth more than Jerry Garcia's toilet. Bottom line. Here's the other thing I want you to see. And here's the wonderful thing. Now some of you need to listen to this one. Look with me at verse 10. Who were once not a people, but are now a people of God. Who had not attained mercy, but have obtained mercy. Here's what he's saying. We are objects of grace and mercy. You know what? Some of you here, you need to listen to me, because you really have a wrong concept of God in your mind. Some of you here are angry towards God. And the reality of why you're angry towards God is because you think God's out to get you. Or God has allowed the tragic circumstances to have happened in your life. And you've got a wrong concept of God. And you've got this concept of God where God is just waiting for you to mess up so he can deal with you. You know what? You've got to jettison that concept. Because that is so far from the truth. Because here's what the Bible is saying to us here in this verse, verse 10. Peter is saying to you and I that we were once a people without mercy. We were once a people. That is what he's talking about. He's talking about our life before Jesus. We had no mercy from God before Jesus. But now, because of Jesus, we have mercy So what I want you to see is is God's not out to get you. God's out to give you mercy and grace. He's out to give you what you don't deserve because that's what grace means. What you don't deserve. Because I'll be honest with you, if we got what we deserve, none of us would be here right now. And He's not out to make your life miserable. We've got to jettison that whole line of thinking. We belong to Him In fact, Jesus said something like this. What father, if his son asked of him a fish, would give him a snake? What father, if his son asked of him for a piece of bread, would give him a stone? Here's what he said about God. How much more will the heavenly Father who loves you give you what you ask when you ask Him? Does that sound like somebody who's out to get you? I would expect a stone or a snake from somebody who was out to get me, wouldn't you? Here's what he wants. We have obtained, because of who we are, grace and mercy. That's reality. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are the objects of grace and mercy. He wants to bestow love on you. He wants to bestow kindness. He wants to be there for you in the midst of your pain. Isn't that a wonderful thought? So let's go through it real quickly here. Let's talk about how the Bible sees, how we see ourselves as as the Scripture sees us. So, number one, we're God's masterpiece. Everybody got that one. Number two, you and I were meant to do great things. Number three, we are God's unique people. We're special. You know, here's the thing. It's pretty boring to be in a church where everybody looks alike, doesn't it? God never created us to look alike. Aren't you glad for that? We're unique, and we're un- his unique people. And here's what else: we are royal priests of the new covenant. You are royalty, your majesties. Accept it. When you look in the mirror, say, Prince so-and-so, Princess so-and-so. See, it's not just for the fairy tales, my friends. It's the reality of who you are. And then here's what it is. We are valuable to God. You are worth something to Him. And then here's the other point I want you to see. We are objects of grace and mercy.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you.